Hello, you're listening to the Drawing the Ideal Self podcast for May 2021. Today's podcast is an interview with Adele Pyle. Adele is a speech and language therapist and is also qualified as a PCP psychotherapist. And she'll talk about her work with people who have communication difficulties, people who stammer, and also in her work as a supervisor or working with the organisations that she's worked with in her role as a manager. Unfortunately, I still seem to be a bit shouty at the beginning. I think that's to do with the way I do the editing. So I've got to get better at that. I (laughs) apologise. I'm not sure what I can do at the minute. So Adele, could you tell us a bit about your own professional background and you know your career, what you've been up to? Well, it's a long one. Qualified as a speech and language therapist uh, in 1976. Worked for a short time, then I took eight years off and had, had my family and then went back to work very part time. So in this was all the through the NHS and there was possibilities at that time of going back for a few hours a week you do a couple of mornings and then yeah. you could fit it to schools and then you could do term time work only so I think there's always been a, an understanding that that if you have this female workforce you have to have flexible hours if, yeah. if you're going to service at all so I was very lucky in that uh, over the years I just gradually built it up to to full-time work working and was able to develop a bit and take on more responsibilities yeah okay so and whereabouts in the country were you working i've always worked in kent always worked for uh, in the same area but of course with all the reorganizations that you've always had in the house <laughs> i think it's probably about six different organizations yeah. by name uh, because of the mergers but I've always been in the sort of community setting so i was in children's services for most of my working life uh working with in special schools working in community centers and clinics and working in mainstream schools. And uh, I gradually sort of took on more responsibilities, probably not because I was looking for them, but people have a tendency to ask you to do things. And then you, if you don't say no, you find you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I gradually worked up into managing a, a speech and language therapy team in paediatrics. And then I I took on... a. There was another reorganisation and I took on managing physiotherapists and occupational therapists and dietitians as well. So that was quite a large team for about five or six years. Yeah. Okay. And then you you do some private work or not? Not really. Not really. There was never a dabbled now and then, but it was was never really the time. Yeah. Working full time and and long hours as most of the health service. Yeah. But it was nice. I did enjoy managing and working with other therapists because you learn an awful lot. I always like the opportunity because if you're a different profession, you can ask a very simple, naive question. Yeah. And they're happy to respond quite and explain things to you. Whereas if you're in the same profession, people sometimes expect you to know. Yes. There's always that that wonderful idea that you ask a question and then you you find something out that you didn't expect. Yeah, yeah. I always think it's a much richer discussion about things as well yeah. with all those different perspectives. That's right. And, and of course, there was always pressures because there's always, there was always pressures from children and from for children and from families because there was always limited resources and you had to provide the best you could for even children with quite complex needs. You, you had to always balance what you 
and do what you could, but always knowing that you you really didn't have quite enough resources that yeah just by that needs. And uh, and that's probably what influenced the introduction of more private therapists over time. And quite a number of the the younger people that were in my team have now moved into independent work. Yeah. We picked up a lot of work in schools because yeah. there's always a lot of negotiations with the education authority about who paid for what and how much money they gave yeah language therapy services and uh, and a lot of parents particularly in this part of the country where we're fairly well off people of families are fairly well off uh, there was often cases where the the parents would decide to spend a bit more money on private uh, yeah and help or or the schools would decide to take employ their own and they would then cover all of the children's needs in that school yeah that's very much happening now that's moved into that yes yeah. it's very different I think it now yeah. yeah it's the same in psychology you know more people are working independently and lots of people are working both independent and the NHS mm. um, so they have the flex for their children in the holidays they can just stop one of them <laughs> yeah so how did you come to find out about PCP well, I, I know I, I was always interested in, in working with people who stammered. And I suppose I got into that because of Peggy Dalton. And, um, and Peggy was one of the, the, the most imaginative and innovative people who developed PCP in this country uh, with Faye Francella and, and some others. And, and she worked uh, with adults who stammered right from early in her life, as well as with uh, neurological disorders. And she was instrumental in setting up what was then called the Association for People Who Stammer or the Stammering Association, something like that. It's changed its name now to the British Stammering Association. So I remember going to one a one-day workshop with her. Uh, it would have probably been early 90s and being very interested in what she had to say. I think I bought a book written by some of the people who were specialists in working with stammering and then eventually did a, an introductory course and over time I had the opportunity to go to her for supervision right okay it's a great influence on me um, yes and I was very lucky then I was able to leave work one day one early one day a month and just go up to London and sit in her in her sitting room with a number of other great people for a couple of hours over PCP Yes, I guess I must have been at a workshop at the same time as you at some point at Peggy's house because they ran them there, didn't they? And and of course, she wrote a lot of books about how PCP and a very useful approach for people with communication difficulties. And I think that's probably what's driven me all these years. Right at the end of 1990, I had the opportunity then and managed to find some funding to do the diploma course. Right. Being qualified as a PCP psychotherapist with PCP. And sometimes people think that's a strange thing to be a speech and language therapist who's also a psychotherapist, don't they? No, it's not it's not common. No, no. But I think Peggy it did influence that a lot because she because of her her dual qualification and and the fact that she was always interested in communication difficulties and 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 in that time in the sort of the early 2000s there were, were quite a lot of speech therapists who were interested in yeah and i think that's where i and kathy and some of the others claire morris we all came from that uh, yes. those origins 
And it, it seems to me it often makes a lot of sense to speech and language therapists. Yes. yes. Because they're thinking about that person and the way they interact with the world. Okay, so so how do you use PCP now in your work? Well, I always did, and I think I used I used to use it in in, in managing as well and supervising when I was when I was managing a team. And I suppose it's one of those theories I was talking the other day to somebody, and um it's a theory that fits with the way I see the world, and I think it always has done. And then when you come across the theory, you think, well. Why doesn't everybody think like that? Because that's how things are. And then you get really excited because you then find that somebody's actually written this theory down in a great deal of detail and uh, and a great deal of of clarity. And so then you you can then start really understanding it and really working through it and really using it. Since I retired, which is about eight years ago, I then uh, I gave up the management work, but I uh, had an opportunity to, to to do some work in with my adult team locally in the health service. Right. Just doing, just working with adults who stammer. Okay. And so that's what I've been doing now for quite a long time on a very yeah. long time basis. And how how would you say, the, you know, for people who don't know anything about stammering, mm-hmm. maybe, other than what it is, mm-hmm. how does PCP help with them? I think it's because it's this it's this whole idea of communication and validation of the self and who you are as a person and as a social being. We have an innate urge to communicate, to connect with, with each other. And I don't think if you have a communication difficulty of any sort, you can remove that, dissect that from the person in which it's embedded. And I right. think we've moved a long way from just looking at what are the symptoms and trying to change the symptoms and the medical model we are so much more involved in the whole person and how they make sense of their world and the meaning of those difficulties for them yeah so what what sort of things happen with people who stammer when you're trying to help them with it well we would get uh, when I worked with the children all those time ago we would work very much with the parents but we would be looking at reducing the child's anxiety we would look at encouraging them for the child to enjoy their talking and developing their confidence socially because that's the thing that that happens and so when you get an adult who comes along whose whose stammer has not recovered from childhood they are very often feeling that this has made a big impact on their life so they might have decided the sort of job they can do just because they might not have to talk too much. Yeah. Or, uh, they've depended on other people to uh, introduce them, make phone calls, uh, go into shops and ask for things, or or you get might get someone in quite considerable restricted lifestyle who who just hardly ever talk to anybody else outside their immediate family. So it can have a really significant impact on how that person sees themselves yes and it must be very difficult for people who stammer at that very first interaction with someone Mm. when you're you know you already know that you're presenting yourself and you don't want to be a stammerer maybe and you don't want to stammer at that moment and then your anxiety would go up I guess you got that's absolutely right and a lot of people will put a huge amount of effort in avoiding stammering 
because they don't want anybody to to notice because because there is a you know there is a view that well these disabilities shouldn't be like that yeah you know they should uh, people should be normal and they should be able to talk properly and therefore there's a discriminatory factor yes yeah so so would you say that that uh, for some people who stammer it actually impairs their job prospects oh yes and have you met people who've made choices, you know, to if you like to underperform, um, because not talking mattered more than facing that situation or doing that job or whatever. That's right. So they would choose jobs where they didn't have to use the phone, or they would choose jobs where they didn't have to talk to other people, or they would um, decide not to go for a promotion or go for an interview because what will people think if I stammer? They'll think I'm no good. So yes. there is a perception that if you stammer, you're you're thick, you're stupid, you're you're no good, you can't be good at your job. But of course, over the years, I've been lucky enough to work with people in all sorts of interesting jobs and some very high flying jobs, and they've just disproved all of that. And one of the nice things is that you do learn lots of things about lots of interesting jobs because I'm always one, I'm always nosy about what people do and <laughs> how they spend their time and so on. So. It does allow you to be very nosy. Yeah. (laughs) And what, um, in terms of stammering, when you're trying to help an adult, Mm. would your focus be on the construing of that person um, in terms of PCP work? Yes, yes. Yes, you want to know how how this communication difficulty fits into their construing. Right. What are the core constructs for them about? Uh, about communicating and relationships and and how they see themselves moving on and and, and changing yes and, and you, not being held back yeah okay and do you find it takes quite a long time for people to shift that thinking you know it's it's construing isn't it that they're developing new constructs they're stretching constructs they're looking in a different direction at their construct system that takes quite a while, I should think. It does. And and I've been fortunate where I've been working here is, is that I have been able to see people for quite a long periods of time. So it might be a year or more that, that we're seeing them. So we might start off fairly regularly and then keeping an eye on people. And and also it's always about experimentation because they're going out, they're going out into their real world, their everyday world, and they're trying things out. So it might be just smiling at somebody that they yeah. don't know. Or it might be when they've been in a shop saying thank you and goodbye. It, it's, it's all of that experimentation, letting, um, taking over jobs or, or tasks that they've never done. So, for example, making phone calls that their partner's always done for them. Right. So lots and lots of experimentation there, which enables them to elaborate their role as a fluent person. Yeah, it comes back to that very very early work that Faye Francella did in the in the eighties about the person who stammers does not have many constructs about being fluent. Mm. Yeah, and also convincing them that they can be a really good communicator and they can have really good social relationships. Yeah, they sometimes they stammer, so there is an acceptance there, and we always say, "I'm sorry, we're not going to stop you stammering. We're not curing you." Yeah, and that's the first the first hard message to go. Mm, I guess for some people that's desperately upsetting. I think people, when they get to adulthood, know that, but you're right. a bit blunt about it. Yeah. So I mean, I can remember reading um, Faye Francella and Peggy's stuff 
about stammering and about speech and language stuff and thinking of course it makes absolute sense doesn't it that if you if you don't know how to construe yourself as fluent how can you be fluent mm-hmm. so it and that goes the opposite way i think to a lot of therapy to do with uh, probably speech and language type things you know it, it's going sort of round the back isn't it to look at the constructs and then maybe people can change what they do um, rather than just focusing on what they do. Like there's some sort of speech and language therapy where they stand in a town and talk, isn't there? That's right, yes. To me, terribly anxiety-provoking, regardless of not having a stomach. I think think it's terrifying. And, And that's really based on the fact that you do lots and lots of exercise to stop yourself from stammering. And that does suit somebody. Mm. some people but it's a bit like um going to the gym you have to do your exercise every day right yeah and and then i what worries me about that is if you don't and and or you are still stammering then you can feel incredibly guilty about that i haven't worked hard enough yes this i would be able to be i would be able to speak normally or so on and so forth so there has to be a lot of emotional and psychological support in that change, I think. Yes. It's such yeah. a core. I think it's, it, we're working at the core. Yeah, absolutely. It's communication. You can't get anything more core than that, can you? <laughs> and, and it's always been there. It's not like you develop communication after a certain age. You're always communicating, aren't you, your whole life, even before you're born. Yes, absolutely. You know, all that stuff's going on. So to struggle with it is very debilitating psychologically, I would think. Oh, it can be. It can be. I think, and we've come across people, they've had serial invalidation throughout their lives as, as, a, as no good. Yeah. Stupid. You can't yes. And therefore you can't do this. And, and, uh, and, and, the, and huge psychological trauma that that. Yeah. Yes, very tough, I think. Yeah. And I think now the other thing which is which has been great is is that working in an adult team, then I'm working with therapists who are working with neurological disorder as well and with law. Okay. And so that's um and that's enabled me to do some training. They've allowed me to do some PCP training with Oh, great. And they're all experienced therapists. So if, if, for example, you take you take a, a, a patient who's had a stroke um then their their life has turned upside down they may not be able to t- communicate verbally at all they yeah. may have difficulty with eating and drinking like they something they always enjoy doing so the whole uh sense of self is is just traumatized really yeah and working with those therapists who are working with those patients they've valued the the, the pcp approach of looking at that person reconstruing their new life yes and the impact that it will have on their relationships and yes and the the uh how everybody else has to adjust their their way of communicating to make sure that they don't then dominate and take over the person who's had the stroke and talk for them and yeah you know that funny old thing about does he take sugar you know that yes that we used to we yeah used yeah yeah in other words, finding a way for that person to communicate and still be a valid 
a valid sense of themselves, uh, even though they've got a lot of impairments. Yeah. And do do those therapists do a lot of work with the carers or partners of those people? Yeah, some, sometimes they will, yes. yes. Yeah, because that must be very tricky, I would think. And the PCP approach would, would help them with that, wouldn't it? Because, you know, mm. they would get an idea of, okay, this is about people just don't know how to construe their mum anymore, say, mm. uh, because now she can't talk in the way she used to. Um, yeah. So, you know, how do you how do you help them to develop the constructs which means you know the mumness isn't lost completely exactly that person is still there even if they're they they can't say what they want or what they think there's still a person in there yes so have you got some go-to techniques in terms of pcp stuff that you would usually use or often use or things you think have been particularly useful in your line of work well, I think I've already mentioned the experience cycle, and I think that is a very useful little idea. And also, quite often, I've when I've met with people, they make problems making decisions. So when you look at the CPC cycle as well, about how people make decisions or how they how they're preemptive or or how they um, continue to prevaricate and can't come down on 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 a, on a decision. Yeah. Um, but I think some of those basic techniques like pyramiding and, and, and laddering is very, very useful. And then if you're talking about relationships within the family, then Harry Proctor's work on mm. relationships and pegs is, is yes. such a simple and easy way of yes. doing it. Yeah. yeah, I think the peg's great. It's, it's easy to do, yeah. but gives you loads of information, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's an easy thing for, the, for somebody to look at and talk about. Yeah. Definitely. What kind of things do you notice when, you know, taking a PCP approach in terms of the way that you work is maybe different from the next person who knows nothing about PCP? What What's different about your practice, you think, because of the PCP? I think it's probably looking at the whole person and looking at their, their sense of themselves and what's the meaning for them, rather than looking at the impairment. So I right. think if you work in a medical setting and you work with people who've got a medical problem, there is still an influence of medical construing or, or a medical definition, diagnosis for this person. And I'm I'm always trying to move away from that if possible and say, well, what is this? What do we want to know about this person and their life? Yeah. So you're maybe getting more at a more holistic person centered yeah. approach then a, a diagnosis to me is it's something yeah. that sort of pops onto people <laughs> um and sometimes it doesn't fit very well so we squeeze them <laughs> and try and make them fit yeah. in <laughs> absolutely, absolutely and yeah. i think this is especially if when you go into psychological dis- distress and mental health you're looking uh, the more and more I read about this, the more you realise that what some professionals are doing is 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 looking at this person and doing exactly what you've just said there, trying to fit this person into one particular box or another. Mm. Observation or describing how this person's behaving rather than working out, well, what has been happening to this person? How have they got to where? Yeah. Yes. And I, I always think that they... That kind of approach means that a lot of time can be spent doing extra and extra and extra assessments, none mm. of which lead to a better outcome. 
Mm. Um, whereas if you got on and started doing the work, you might actually move a lot quicker. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this is there some kind of either a training course or any training that you've had? I mean, you've already referenced Peggy as, mm-hmm. as that have been particularly good and helpful to you in your practice as a speech and language therapist in PCP. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I did the four year diploma and I learned a lot and I read a lot of, about the sort of the pure side of PCP, if you like, the original, the original. Mm. But I think it's only over those years, those 20 odd years since then. And the more I've worked with it and the more I've been teaching and supervising, the more I'm understanding the depth of it. And we've been very lucky in that we've had some good books have come out in the last few years as well with some new ideas. Mm. So I do do try to keep up my my reading and and looking for new ways of doing things or, or new. And and also with any teaching, you're always getting the participants to work on themselves. And that, again, is something that people have to start to understand and reflect on and yeah. move towards being a reflective practitioner rather than following a, a checklist or a structure or a structure yeah. or something. Yes, and it, it's quite different, I think, from that point of view. Mm. You can't say, here we are at A, the next step is going to be B. You might be, here we are at A, I've got no idea what's going to happen next, because this is a real human, <laughs> and we'll have to see where we go with that. And that can be quite anxiety-provoking for people, I think. Absolutely, yes, and that's the big, that is the biggest challenge, I think, when people start to work in this way, is, is thinking, well, I might have this plan for this session with this person, but you've got to be prepared to be completely blown off track and just go with whatever that person brings with you that day, whatever distress or whatever achievement they bring to your session on that day. That's what you're going to work with. Yes, yeah. And then the therapist's job is to... see where the threads are isn't it to help people to tom ravenette used to say illuminate and i think that's great yes, because those those connections are there and what you're helping them to do is see yes. them rather than create them they're not creating them for you you're just helping them to notice um yes. and i think that that's kind of what we have to try and do with it where i think what's interesting is you know you're a speech and language therapist i'm a psychologist it, it doesn't really make any difference no. in terms of what we're trying to do. We're trying to alleviate distress. We're trying to help people who are stuck. Um, mm. And we're all in the same game, if you like. And that's the other thing mm. that I really think is beneficial about PCP. It doesn't say this only belongs to one profession. That's right. And it applies to every single one of us. Yeah, yeah. It applies as much to me and you as it does to the people that we work with. To me, that's very refreshing. So in terms of what you're trying to do in PCP, you're running some courses. Can you tell people a bit about that? Uh, yes. Yeah, straight after I qualified, I got drawn in by, by various people into helping out with some of, some of the assessments and so on that people were presenting. And then 
we tried to re- revise and redevelop a diploma course back in 2016. And, and it was a tricky time. It was very difficult for people to find any funding. And so things are sort of laid, laid a bit fallow since that time. But you and Coventry have been ploughing on with, with your foundation course. And I've been doing mine in my own little sort of localities. To, yeah. to, uh, I've got a small group of independent speech and language therapists that I've taught at a foundation level. And likewise with the colleagues that I work with in adult services that I've taught at a foundation level. And yeah. I'm always sort of asking my bosses if I can have a few more days. Uh, I'm hoping I can this year, a few more days of teaching. And, then, and there's only half a dozen of them, but it's enough of a group to keep it going and for them to pass the yeah. word down the line. Always thinking in terms of succession planning. What is it when I eventually do retire? Who's going yeah. to this work I don't want this service into it so making sure there are some people who've got enough understanding and enough passion about that work to to want to carry on and then I've worked well with a lot with Kathy Sparks and with we've now launching another foundation course online we're just starting that ah great okay so maybe I'd be able to put a link in if you could send is there a is it best for people to send you an email? I can put your email in or I can put a, yes. a specific link in. Yes. Um, so yes. and particularly, I think you know, the nice thing is that we've got PCP going on. There's some going on in Edinburgh. There's some in Coventry and there's some in, in, in and around That's right. London and the south. So, yes. you know, we're spreading across the country quite nicely. We need somebody in Bristol, don't we, or somewhere like that now. <laughs> I suppose because it's online, they can be anywhere anyway. They can. Yes. Yes, they can. Yes. And um, and it's, it's interesting that I think there's going to be, there, there, it looks as if there's going to be a move um, in terms of the sort of professional status and the, and the registration issues just because of the lockdown. And, right. and even the UKCP, which is the registration body for psychotherapists, are looking at, First of all, diversity, because an awful lot of counsellors and psychotherapists now are sort of middle class, middle aged, white, female. They're yeah. very, very poor in, in that sense. And are actually facing the fact that it's too expensive. Yeah. If you do a, a, a training course, whatever modality or theory you're in, you're talking about, uh, I don't know, £6,000 a year for five years plus extras. Now, that's crazy money. Yeah. So they are now beginning to understand that there is another way of doing it, or there may be. And we've, um, the chairman of, of the PCP Association has been very actively just negotiating and getting into people and talking to people and saying, hang on, why don't why can't we do this in a more acceptable way, in a more yeah. approachable way, so that people have got years and years of experience of working psychologically and some understanding and knowledge of PCP can come in and get a qualification of some sort and so that's something that that we're working on at the moment so that brings in other people from other fields we we hope over time yeah that's good so that's through the PCPA that's right through the association yes yeah I'll put a link to the PCPA in the notes as well yeah yeah okay so if people are interested in a course they can contact you Mm-hmm. do you is your supervision group open um and i know kathy does supervision as well you mm-hmm. know if 
if you're follow up, you know, do you pass it on to Kathy and say there's a speech and language therapist particularly looking? Yes. Can you? Yeah, I mean, we have a we'll have a lot of contact with each other, and she's run. Yes, she's run supervision training for a long, long time. Yeah, and at a, at a good, at really good level, so that people, um, not necessarily delivered as a PCP training, but very much influenced by it across yeah. therapies. And um, she runs groups. I do some one-to-one supervision as well with with people in various fields. Okay, so, and do you do that on on Zoom or similar? online some of it used to be face-to-face but of course now it isn't yeah but I think that that improves accessibility doesn't it that someone can be in Blackpool and still meet with you Um, because there aren't that many people who are speech and language therapists who are able to offer supervision in PCP that's right that's right it's good that that's accessible so if you know people want to contact you Mm. um, would you rather they did that through PCPA or no, they can, your email in. they can email me. That's okay. All right. That's great. Good. Yes. Good. Is there anything else you think um, that people who are maybe newer to PCP would be helped by? I think uh, it's that continuing developmental pathway. So I think the, the, the foundation course is good. We did an introductory day to begin with this year back in January and that captured about eight or nine people which was so that it was just a really really quick overview and yeah. then those decided to take that further I think the books that you've done and that Adine has done um, are very useful and they're very accessible they're very readable and they go alongside a foundation course so what's I think is quite, quite useful there is you get a lot of experience and uh, theory basic theory in your foundation and then you can go back to the book and you can read it up again or you can read yeah. it in a different way just to improve that understanding because there's nothing like going some, over something in several different ways to yes to ensure that you're understanding it and you know what you're talking about yeah okay and then I think maybe that is the workshops that, that are run in Coventry and I think roughly that's the other field that over time would be nice to develop particular topics yes you can engage with those yeah and it's been a good year for pcp hasn't it because the stuff's been online and people have come from all over the world which is very different normally we're in our own country doing our own country's things um or you know we did have someone came from iceland (laughs) but you know that's a rare thing to have someone come from abroad to something Mm. in the uk so that it's been lovely to see who those people are in other countries using PCP. So, you know, I, I think it offers us potential now. And now we've all got used to doing it. <laughs> and, and maybe those international conf- conferences have died a death. Yeah. The expense and everybody's guilt about flying across the world. And do you have to? Yes. There is, there is a, we, we all miss it because, I mean, we, you know, we started off talking today about communication and relationships and and it is different when you're not in a, the same room, not yeah. together. and 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 that the quality of that communication is different. Yes, and I I think that's the other thing that we found working with with our clients online is that you you still only get that little bit of head and shoulders. Yeah, and we want to see the whole body. What is this whole body telling us about this person? Yes. Yeah. 
the way they see themselves. What's what's this whole organism like? Yeah. How is it functioning? And that you can pick up so many little hints when you're in the same room as someone. Yeah. We're missing that now. Yeah, I think most people who work with people would much rather be face-to-face. <laughs> but if it's an alternative between non and Zoom, Zoom will do, won't it? <laughs> it will, and we've kept it going. We've been working right from the very, very beginning. We've been working with all our clients. We haven't, yeah. we haven't interrupted our service at all. It's good. Yeah, great. Well good. done. <laughs> Okay, thank you. That, that's really helpful. Like, what's great is to hear from a different profession, you know. Mm. And what I'll be trying to do in the podcast is get people from different professions to talk about their take on PCP and how it makes sense. Because it it seems to me one of the few things that can go across all professions. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher in a class with children or you're running a business. You can still use a PCP approach. So I I want to try and make sure we represent that. So talking to you has been really helpful because it's going to teach people who don't know about what a speech and language therapist does about that, but also about how, you know, some of the things they're doing in their work are probably similar. Um, And, you know, we're all taking that same approach where we can. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. We're really enjoying it. Yes. Well, (laughs) that's the other thing is PCP tends to, well it seems to make the people who are practicing it quite cheerful (laughs) (laughs) well it's an optimistic we've always described it as an optimistic theory haven't we yeah there is another way and even when we see people with the most devastating history we're we're always looking for that that little chink that little illumination as you say illuminating Mm. one little thing that it's a positive yes move on to yeah okay Adele thank you so much that's been great Okay, so that was interesting. So I think the great thing about being able to do this podcast is to show the different professions and how they can all use PCP. And the good thing about PCP training is you do one set of training and then you can apply it in your work therapeutically or with individuals or with organisations. And that's a very good value training. Next month's podcast is going to be a a paper and I've got some ideas about which one I'm going to talk about. Um, And then we've got a a couple of interviews coming up. I try to do now, um, if I can, probably an interview and then the next one is a paper and then the next one is an interview or, you know, maybe not a paper, maybe it's an issue. Okay, I'll see you next month. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.